just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's Wednesday, kind of a crazy week going on. But next week is going to be even crazier. We'll talk more about that later. I want to bring up something that uh, every Minnesotan talks about almost every day, and that's the fucking weather, especially when we're in the middle of winter. Now, Minnesota is known for getting really cold temperatures and a lot of snow, but with the onset of climate change, it's been not so much lately. I mean, we get our days of snow, we get our days of cold, but it isn't like it was when I was a kid. I mean, it was fucking crazy in this state. And that's one of the reasons to this day I prefer not being around during the winter months. That said, we've got a big storm that is apparently covering the entire country, coming from the West Coast all the way across to the East Coast. And naturally, it's likely to hit Minnesota. Getting a lot of snow in Minnesota isn't out of the realm of possibility, isn't unusual necessarily. And I feel lucky living in Minnesota when we do have snowstorms because um, the plows and everything, we know how to handle a snowstorm. You get 10, 12 inches, well, that shit will be cleared off the roadways in about six, eight hours, and you'll be driving around just like normal. Do that down in Dallas, Texas, you're out of commission for a fucking week. So I'm happy about that. But it's kind of interesting what's going on in Minnesota right now with this storm coming through our area. We're getting rain, and not because it's really warm, but it's just warm enough. It's like 34, 35 degrees. So the rain is falling and not snow. As I understand it, we're not going to get temperatures that are low enough for snow until Friday, and we will likely get some snow then. But right now it's rain, and that's okay. Driving on wet roadways isn't tough. My only concern is, is If the temperatures drop to, say, 30, 31, then all that rain becomes ice and it gets fucking crazy out there. Having been a traffic reporter for many years and watching the video on on the screens as I'm doing traffic reports, I saw some unbelievable shit. This always kind of makes me nervous, not so much for myself. I always felt comfortable driving in any conditions. I felt in control. But I always worried about my wife, my kids, my daughter-in-law, my grandkids. They're out there. And even if they're being safe, there's a lot of crazy, stupid fucks out there. And they could run into them. So I get kind of antsy. I don't get nervous about many things. But those days where it's icy or snowy, I do worry about my family. The way it looks, the temperature is going to stay like in the mid-30s, low to mid-30s through Friday. And that should keep the roadways just wet. And that'll be fine. I just hope it doesn't get too cold and ice up. Because I got to tell you, if you live in a warm climate, you have never experienced anything in your life until you're driving in Minnesota with uh, a base of ice on the roadway. And then you come to a stop sign, you apply the brakes, 
and you don't fucking stop. You just keep sliding. In fact, you might even pick up speed and go through the interchange. Now, I've had some close calls in those situations. Surprisingly, I've never had an accident because of that situation. I've had accidents for other reasons, but not because of the ice per se. But having been a traffic reporter and watching cameras all over the freeway systems in the worst snowstorms or ice storms, I've seen some pretty crazy shit. Now, if you live in the cold and you're getting snow or ice, I want to give you a little tip, a traffic reporter tip. And I'm surprised I have to give this tip, but I've watched it on video so many times, it's fucking crazy. If you're driving in the snow or ice, there are going to be slippery patches. And some of the most slippery areas are like overpasses because you got the air going underneath it. And for some reason, that makes it real icy. But you might find icy patches at intersections, too, because cars are stopped. You get the condensation from the car, then it ices over. You can't always see the ice, so sometimes it takes you by surprise. But I remember one day when I was watching a snowstorm and all the traffic, and we had this curve coming up on an overpass, and you had some room past the roadway. So a car would come come up it, and it'd get to the apex of the curve, and it would slide off into the ditch. Okay, that sucks. And then another car would come out, get to the apex of the curve, go into the ditch. Then a third car would come to that same spot and go into the ditch. Now, that's troublesome enough, but let me explain to you what these people did. These people, after watching this happen, they get out of the cars and they start talking amongst themselves. If you're in a situation like that, don't get out of the fucking cars. That's your only protection at this point. And people would say, well, nothing's going to happen to me. Well, you just watch three cars go in the same fucking ditch for the same reason. Stay in the car. Well, one time I was watching a situation just like this. And two guys got out of the car. And as luck would have it, or misfortune anyway, another car comes up the curve, spins out, goes into the ditch, spinning around, clips both those guys that are standing out talking, trying to figure out what they're doing, breaks all four of their legs, and they're done. They're down in the snow. So if you take no tips from me, take this one tip. If you're driving in snow or ice, you go in a ditch, Make your calls, do whatever you got to do, but stay in the fucking car. That is the safest place for you to be. All right, let's get to it. I've got some emails to read. First of all, this one comes to me from Daniel in Los Angeles. Hi, Mike. Your ability to summarize current events is hugely valuable. With so much information being pelted at us, we lose track of issues and have to ask ourselves, how do we get here? Your ability to provide a Cliff Notes version of current events helps out the average Joes. He makes a good point. I will tell you why I do that, and I do it just naturally. Not so much to do it for the listeners. I have to do it for myself. 
When I see something, I have to break it down in simple terms so I can understand what's really there. There's always this fluffy bullshit around it, and it kind of confuses the situation and maybe takes me off track. So for my own purposes, I have to condense it down to just the facts. And then, of course, that's how it reported to you. Now, through my life, my experiences in broadcasting have uh, given me a good training ground to do just that. Take something I see, condense it down into simple terms, and then deliver it with my mouth, my voice. I had to do that when I was doing traffic reports, like I was just talking about. I watch all these screens, I see what's going on, I have to figure it out, and then I spew it to the people in two-minute segments. I also did this by way of... uh, of, uh, um, doing play-by-play of sports, which I did many years ago. You have to watch the game, explain it in specific terms so people kind of feel like they're involved in the game. So I got natural training with it, and I have to do it to keep my mind straight. I, I, I get frustrated when I see these long, elongated, with a bunch of words that are unnecessary I get frustrated when I watch TikTok. You know, you get people doing these TikToks and they purposely are dragging it along. So it goes three minutes or to a part two. They're saying a lot of things. My point is, is when I'm watching something, if you're not getting to the point real quickly, you fucking lost me. I'm done. I don't have that kind of attention span. Anyway, let's go on with Daniel's email. As far as Judge Aileen Cannon, although I heard that Trump went judge shopping, how in the world did our legal system allow this issue to get as far as it did? There seems to be no checks and balances in the court system. As of December 12, 2022, Judge Cannon signed an order dismissing the case, stating one of the reasons was for lack of jurisdiction. Exactly. How did our court system allow traction to get a master? hearing the case, spend resource time to even get to this point. Why wasn't there a stern red light indicating Judge Cannon that she didn't have jurisdiction? He goes on to say, my faith in the the, uh, judicial system gets weaker when this sort of shenanigans can take place. There should have uh, been checks and balances for Trump to not even have the opportunity to judge shop. U.S. taxpayers wasted three months dicking around with uh, Judge Cannon and Trump. At the end of the day, Judge Cannon did sign the order dismissing the case, but there needs to be repercussions for all this wasting of time and resources. I hear most of your podcasts keep up the good fight, Daniel, in Los Angeles. And Daniel, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm frustrated with our judicial system, too. It seems like It's purposely cumbersome. It's easy for anybody with a little money to cause delays and more delays. You have to understand when Donald Trump causes delays in his past, he did it for a reason. He draws something out. He drained people of all their money, and then they would just give up and he would win by default. Now, unfortunately, you can't do that with the government. He doesn't have more money or more time than the government or more resources. So all he does is delay it. But it is troublesome when you see somebody go to court for a legitimate thing 
and we can't get a straight answer. You don't like the answer, you appeal it. You don't like that answer, you appeal it. You don't like that answer, you appeal it, and maybe ultimately appeal it to the Supreme Court. And God knows what the fuck they're going to do. So I share your frustration. I, I, you know, people say the judicial system is the best in the world, and, and I don't know that that's the case. You know, there's another part of the judicial system that frustrates me, too. You would think when you go to court, the main goal from the prosecution and the defense and the judge and the jury would be to get justice. But how many times have we seen a prosecution find somebody they're going to prosecute and then do everything to get them convicted? And that's fine. That's their job. But what happens when things become obvious that this guy isn't guilty? In fact, we hear of situations where prosecutions will hide certain evidence because it would work against their agenda. So now these prosecutors are only concerned about convicting this guy whether or not they're guilty. And see, that's the problem. There is no justice in the judicial system, and that's what we should be getting. The idea that somebody can delay things forever, run out the clock, or drain the other party of money and win by default is fucking absolutely ridiculous. That is a huge flaw in our legal system. And you're absolutely right, Daniel. This is something that needs to be addressed, whether it will or not. I don't fucking know. But it is frustrating. And I will agree with you on that. All right. Next one. Aaron from St. Louis. He starts out, what's up, my dude? (laughs) I've emailed before. I've got a question for you. Are you familiar with the Midas Media Group? They have a couple of podcasts that are very informative and don't play the uh, both sides of the game. One is the Midas Touch podcast, and the second is a twice-a-week podcast by the new Legal AF. All hosts are lawyers and some with top-notch resumes. The gist of the show breaks down the legal aspects of all the same things you discuss. They break down complex legal terms situations that we all can understand and in conjunction with your show it really provides great view of all the current political situations if you aren't familiar give it a listen i think you and your listeners would find it informative thanks mike for your hard work and dedication i and many others appreciate it let me know if you're familiar aaron well i am familiar with midas touch And I know there are some TikTokers that are, and other podcasts that are connected to the Midas Touch or work in conjunction with the Midas Touch. You remember the the guy we had on the show, Tony, Tony Michaels. Good guy. Does a good show. And he is connected to Midas Touch, maybe indirectly. I think his podcast and some of his posts go on the Midas Touch Facebook page. I have no connection to Midas Touch. I have no interest in having connection with anybody. That said, I do like Midas Touch, and I think they're very bright, and they do a great job. Uh, I don't listen to them as much as uh, as I would like. I don't actually listen to as many podcasts as I was like. And you know why? Because I'm fucking too busy doing podcasts. <laughs> 
No, seriously, I do listen to some podcasts, and uh, they, they do a good job. Uh, as far as being aligned with them, I'm not going to be aligned with anybody. That's just not my thing. I didn't, I'm not interested in that. I, You see, I saw, I've seen a couple things with people who were connected with Midas Touch. And I understand the situation. I just refuse to do it. Um, there was a guy on TikTok. His name is Texas Paul. He does a great job. I really like this guy a lot. He'd be walking along on his ranch or whatever the fuck he was doing. And he would swear he was very passionate about stuff. And he would talk shit. He and I had a lot in common. And then he connected up with Midas Touch, which... You know, I think for a lot of people that do TikToks and or podcasts would like to do that because they've got a huge audience and being connected to that would expose you to more people. But after he did that, I watched Texas Paul now, and now he's sitting in a rocking chair going, yeah, that damn Trump. And he seems so low key. It doesn't seem like the Texas Paul I knew. Now, he may be doing it just because he changed it on his own accord. But I get the sense because he was with Midas Touch, they're saying, listen, man, you might want to tone this down. You might want to do this. You might want to do that. Now, I don't know that for sure, but that's the sense I get because the change came right after he connected with Midas Touch. And I got to tell you, if anybody came to me, and they do, if they came to me and said, Mike, you got to change this. You can't do that. Don't say fuck that much. I'd say, fuck you. I'm going to do what I want, and that's just the way it is. I'm letting the chips fall where they may. I'm going to say and do the things that are in my mind. I'm not going to be held back at all. And if people like it, great. And if they don't, that's fine too. Fortunately, with the folks on TikTok and in the podcast, I've got an audience that is used to, do, used to hearing what I do. And I'm good with that. I don't want to change it. As I've told you before, a lot of what you see in the media or on TikTok or in podcasts is simply a show. And what I mean by that is people will not necessarily be true to themselves when they're in TikTok or the podcast or the media or whatever. They kind of put on a show. And that's fine if they want to do that, but I refuse to do that. I've been in a position where I've had to do that. I do not fucking like it. I don't like guys in suits telling me what I should and shouldn't do. I very rarely followed their direction when I had to, and I'm certainly not going to do it when I don't have to. What you hear from me on this podcast is truly me. If you met me off the podcast, off TikTok, I would be the same fucking guy. And that's part of the experiment that I walked into when I started doing TikTok. I said, you know what? I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to act like me. I'm not going to cater to anybody. I'm just going to say what I say, see where the chips fall, and if it works, great. And fortunately, to date, it's working fine. So I'm not connected to Midas Touch. I do like them. I do appreciate what they do. And they do a great job. And I would agree with you. If you have an interest, I would check out the Midas Touch podcast. Legal as fuck. I've never listened to that. And honestly, I don't know that I would be interested in it. It's too, when you're talking about legal terms and how this applies and that applies, that doesn't sound exciting to me. But that's me. It's kind of like a Tom Clancy novel. The stories are great, but too much shit. 
too much shit to get the meat of it. I'm I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not a, a detail guy. I'm a big picture guy, and that's why I do what I do. But good advice, Aaron. I appreciate it. Hope you're doing well in St. Louis with this snowstorm coming through. All right, let's talk about what's going on in the world, in our government. And I got some good news. Now, you'll recall that the um, January 6th House Select Committee investigating the insurrection, they had plans to give a presentation, uh, their final presentation, closing arguments, if you will, on Wednesday, December 21st. Uh, Guess what? They pushed it back. Or pushed it up. I'm not sure which one it would be. But the fact of the matter is their presentation is going to come on Monday, December 19th. Now, in this presentation, they're going to vote on some things as far as releasing uh, a report and doing all that sort of thing. I assume they're going to be talking about some of the evidence and how things have worked out from their point of view. Now, on Monday, it sounds like they're also going to issue these uh, criminal referrals to the DOJ. Now, what that is, is after all their investigations, looking at the evidence and talking to the witnesses, they're going to decide this person committed some crimes and we are going to refer them to the DOJ. Now, I think I can almost guarantee that the number one guy that's going to be referred for criminal activity will be Donald Trump. It could be Mark Meadows, too. It could be Rudy Giuliani. It could be fucking anybody. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens when they make these criminal referrals. Can you imagine Donald Trump when he's watching TVs in his dirty diaper down in Mar-a-Lago, And sees Benny Thompson come out and say, we are referring Donald Trump for um, criminal activity to the DOJ. Oh, Donnie would lose his fucking shit. I mean, even more so than he already does. I think I'm going to join Truth Social just to watch the shit show firsthand. It's going to be crazy. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Now, one of the things they're going to do, too, is, and we've talked about this, that they're going to release all the evidence, every fucking bit of evidence. And this is kind of interesting. And this is a good move by Benny Thompson and the J6 committee. Because there was talk of handing over this information to the Republicans in the House and the DOJ. Now, if you hand it over to the DOJ, we're never going to see any of this or a lot of it anyway, unless it goes to court. If you hand it over to the Republican Party, they're going to cherry pick things out of this and make it look bad for the Democrats. Well, now they're not going to be able to do that because every bit of evidence is going to be available to the public, to the media, to the DOJ, to whoever wants to fucking grab it. Now, the important thing is while this this meeting or this hearing that they're having on Monday, the documents and the uh, evidence will not be released that day. They will, in fact, be released on December 21st, the original date for this presentation. The documents will come out on December 21st. And at that point, 
it'll be laid bare for all to see. I got to tell you, if you do a podcast or TikToks or whatever the fuck you do, Instagram, people who do that, creators like myself, will be going through that material, and it's going to be awesome because I can pick one section, read it, and do probably three TikToks on it, or take two sections or take two documents and do a whole fucking podcast about it. This is going to be a great source for material for a while to come. And you are going to hear things that you've never heard before. You think we know a lot about what happened, but we don't. We don't know everything that happened. And it's going to come out in these documents. Now, while the committee has changed its plans in the past, this is the first time the panel has indicated a specific date for the release of its final report. Now, earlier in the week, while discussing the panel's work with the reporters, Chairman Bernie Thompson said the report is quite lengthy. I bet it is. The report is expected to include information that hasn't been made public during the previous hearings, like I said. And the committee also plans to share hundreds of transcripts of the over 1,000 witnesses it interviewed. Jesus Christ, I could do a podcast for every witness. That's a thousand fucking podcasts. I'll be in heaven. A former President Donald Trump, the central player in the panel's investigation into the violence that happened at the Capitol on January 6th, was subpoenaed by the panel in October. But of course, Donald Trump has not cooperated. He said, oh, I'd be happy to testify, just like Jenny Thomas. And Donald Trump did not testify. It doesn't really matter, though, because there's plenty of evidence against Donald Trump without opening his mouth. We know that if Donald Trump did testify, it would probably be chocked full of lies. Donald Trump doesn't have the capacity to tell the truth. And if he lied, that would just be one more potential indictment against him for perjury. So Donald Trump probably made the smart choice of not testifying, but that's not going to help him much because you see when the January 6th committee puts this out, this is going to put a lot of pressure on the DOJ. You know, it's one thing for the DOJ to do an investigation through a grand jury and all this shit is secret. We don't know all of what's going on. They just expose what they want us to know. If they decide not to uh, indict somebody for whatever reason, they just don't release the information that might it might support indicting that person. They don't want the heat. Well, that's not going to be the case in this situation because we are going to have all the evidence. We're not going to have all of the DOJ evidence, but we're going to have all of the January 6th evidence. Like I said, a thousand witnesses, millions or at least a million documents, text messages, emails. It's going to get crazy. We talked about the email from Ralph Norman, the representative, the Republican, where he basically told Mark Meadows, you got to tell the president that we need to initiate martial law. He spelled it wrong. And actually, when asked about it yesterday, he said, my only regret is that I spelled martial wrong. Really? That's your only regret. You took an oath of office to protect the Constitution. Everything you said in that text about instituting martial law, 
is exactly the opposite of protecting the Constitution. You asked Donald Trump to overturn a fair and decent election. He also suggested that they overthrow the country. You see where the contradiction is there between what you said and protecting the Constitution? But apparently that doesn't bother him. Apparently he doesn't feel guilty about it. Now, the important thing to remember, there are 34 representatives that also sent text messages, and they're as bad or worse than the one Ralph Norman sent. Now, the interesting thing is, we'll get to see all of them, every fucking one of them, because they'll be in that tranche of documents that the J6 committee posts and makes available to everybody. So this is going to be fun. If you thought Donald Trump has had some bad days, if you thought the Republicans have had some bad days, well, you ain't seen nothing yet because it's going to get way worse next week. They'll give the presentations, they'll make the criminal referrals, and then on Wednesday they will release all the evidence. It is going to be a shit show. There are going to be people, sitting members of Congress, Jenny Thomas, Rudy Giuliani, Donald Trump himself, that will be just spinning like fucking tops. They won't know what to do with themselves. If you're one of these people saying, I haven't seen anything happen, nothing's happened. Well, shit's about to happen. And then I want you to shut the fuck up about it. Just sit back, relax, and watch. It will all happen. And don't tell me nothing's going to happen to Donald Trump because shit's already happened to fucking Donald Trump. So shut the fuck up. Monday, the presentation, some votes, the criminal referrals. Wednesday, they're going to dump all the evidence. And it's going to be a fucking glorious week. Trust me on this. It is going to be awesome. And then after that, the DOJ will pick up the slack and we'll start seeing some action out of them. I don't know when, but the sooner, the fucking better. All right, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. Earlier in the show, we were talking about the judicial system. And I'm sorry, but the judicial system is fucked. It's clumsy. It's cumbersome. It's easily manipulated by people who have money. And justice is not always served. I mean, you think about this. Donald Trump decides to delay this whole uh, special master situation, sends it to a judge that he shopped for. The judge gives him what he's looking for, and then this whole thing gets delayed. It gets appealed, and it gets appealed again, goes to the Supreme Court. And then when it comes down to it, it's got to go back to the original judge that Donald Trump shopped for and picked out specifically. And then she has to admit that this case is dismissed because she didn't have jurisdiction. How the fuck does she not know she had? She doesn't have jurisdiction? Well, she knew, but she knew how to play the game, and she was willing to try to delay this for her lord and savior, Donald Trump. I don't care what anybody says. That is not fucking justice. Anyhow, one of the biggest problems we have with our judicial system is the Supreme Court. 
people in this country don't think it's credible. They don't think it has integrity, and they have good reason. It is very partisan. It is very corrupt. And we have six conservative members of the Supreme Court that are either incompetent or literally corrupt. Yeah, I don't. Even the Chief Justice, John Robert, he's supposed to be the good guy. But he could be keeping the Supreme Court in line, but he refuses to do that. Maybe he doesn't have enough power to do that. But if he doesn't have enough power, why call him the Chief Justice? What power does he fucking have? Now, you would think when you're in a situation where the public questions the uh, veracity of the Supreme Court, and they're whining about it, How dare you think badly of us? (laughs) That's not good for the court. And as I've said many times, if you don't want people to think you're fucked up and corrupt, don't be fucked up and corrupt. And apparently the Supreme Court doesn't understand that. They think they are deserving of respect just by virtue of them being in the Supreme Court. But we all know that in order to get respect, you have to fucking earn it. And the Supreme Court is not earning it. But you would think under these conditions, you'd be stepping very lightly. You'd be careful not to cause more of an uproar. But that's not the case. They're still doing whatever the fuck they want. And the dumbest of them, (laughs) Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, pulled a doozy here just the other night. A couple weeks ago, maybe. No, just a couple nights. Anyway, on Friday night, December 9th, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, according to Politico, attended a private holiday party. Well, it's the season, isn't it? (laughs) Brett Kavanaugh likes to party. And why? Because we know he likes beer. Anyway, he goes to this private holiday party in the home of Conservative Political Action Conference Chairman Matt Schlapp. This is a radical right group. Kavanaugh's decision to attend, reporter Lydia Wheeler writes in Bloomberg Law on December 12th, raises questions about when a justice's personal relationships cross a line and become problematic. Let me ask you this. In what parallel universe does it make sense that a Supreme Court justice would go to any partisan party, whether they be the right side or the left side? Aren't these folks supposed to be nonpartisan or bipartisan? Aren't they supposed to be above it all? Aren't they supposed to be unbiased? Well, that's what you would hope for the Supreme Court, and that's the problem the Supreme Court is dealing with currently. And apparently, it wasn't obvious enough for Brett Kavanaugh. He goes to this fucking party. And he doesn't try to hide the fact that he's going to this party. One of the other people who attended Schlapp's party, according to Politico, was MAGA Republican Stevie Stevie Creepy Miller. You know who he is. He's Donald Trump's uh, hatchet man or henchman. He's a slimy, creepy, fucking-looking piece of shit. 
Now, Stephen Miller, who was a policy advisor for the Trump administration, we know about him. Miller heads the America First Legal Foundation, a group that Wheeler notes has interest in cases now pending before the Supreme Court. You see where the problem lies here? Creepy Stephen Miller is involved with an organization who has cases coming up in the Supreme Court, and there's big dumb Brett Kavanaugh partying with Stephen Miller. You would think that he tried to be more careful than this. Try to avoid bringing attention like this to the Supreme Court, given all that's going on. But I'll tell you this. The problem with the Supreme Court is they're not accountable. They're not responsible to anybody. I've talked about it before when I've heard people say, well, we should have a code of ethics. And I'm saying, why didn't you already have a code of ethics? Yes, they're the Supreme Court, but they're fucking humans and potentially corrupt. We have no code of ethics. And what do we have? A corrupt Supreme Court. So this is really fucked up. Kavanaugh's decision to attend Schlapp's party comes at a time when the high court is suffering from historically low approval ratings. Like I said, people don't trust him. They don't think they have integrity or credibility. The court's unpopularity to a variety of thing, uh, go to a variety of things, including the decision to overturn Roe v. Wade after 49 years of settled law. They all owned up to it. Yeah, it's settled law. We won't touch it. First chance they get, they're fucking got their hands all over it and they overturn it. Other controversies, of course, uh, that have dodged or dogged the high court in recent months range from efforts by Ginny Thomas, you know, Clarence Thomas's wife, to overturn the 2020 election. Yeah, that's all she did is try to overthrow the government and overturn the election. And then you've got Justice Sam Alito or his wife, we're not sure who it was, but apparently these Supreme Court justices have trouble with their spouses. Anyway, the problem with Alito was he's leaking information. Some people think he leaked the information about overturning Roe v. Wade so he could force people into voting his way, and that makes sense. But also in 2014's Burwell versus Hobby Lobby before it was officially announced. Now, Alito, of course, vehemently denies it, but uh, it comes from a serious source, somebody who was fucking there. Now, Wheeler notes that Democrats have recently renewed calls for sitting Supreme Court justices to follow a former judicial code of ethics. See, that's the thing. There is a judicial code of ethics for judges, federal judges, county judges, state judges, whatever they are. There is a formal judicial code of ethics for all judges, except for those people in the Supreme Court. Why would that be? Why would they be different than any other judges? See, this is the thing. These fuckers have gamed this system and they get away with anything. That needs to change. That needs to change right now. Tonya Jacoby, a professor at Emory University Law School in Atlanta, told Blumberg Law, Supreme Court justices should be extraordinarily careful in not only having no actual ethical difficulties, 
but having no appearance of an ethical conundrum, as well as the legitimacy of the court at the moment it's taking a severe beating. So this isn't the opportune time to take a risk, Brett Kavanaugh. Charles Gay, a professor at Indiana University's Maurer School of Law, implied that Kavanaugh was showing very poor judgment by attending Schlapp's party, Gay told Blumberg Law. This is the worst possible time for this. But hey, Brett Kavanaugh likes beer. Apparently, he can't get beer and have it in his own home. He has to go to a radical right freak to get his beer. I don't know. There are so many things in this country that we need fixed. Here's what you need to understand. I've said this before. Donald Trump leaves office in 2020. Joe Biden comes into office. Some people think that magically everything will go back to normal. It won't. The damage that Donald Trump did is going to take some time to undo. Joe Biden's doing an admirable job in doing that, but it's going to fucking take time. And one of the biggest problems we have now is with the Supreme Court, because when the Supreme Court isn't so supreme, well, that fucks up democracy. That is a branch of our government. And if it's not working properly, we have a problem with democracy. So it's not something we can say, oh, we'll just wait on it, see if it works its way out. We got to do something about it or we're fucked. And speaking of fucked, have you heard about the guy, the kid who was a billionaire, Sam Bankman Freed? He's the guy that owned FTX, turned it into a billion dollar company, and then it went bust. He's a billionaire one day and now he's broke the next day. And the thing that interests me about this guy is he's a kid. At least from my perspective, he's a kid. He's 30 years old. How does a 30-year-old guy end up being a fucking billionaire? Well, it can't be honest. Anyway, he's kind of embattled right now. He was the CEO of cryptocurrency giant FTX and trading firm Alameda Research. And he's being charged with defrauding investors. He was extradited from the Bahamas and went to court, and he is being charged to the hilt. I heard some people say they've never seen anybody from Wall Street get charged this much. FTX's collapse highlights the very real risk that unregistered crypto assets trading platforms can pose for investors and customers alike. Gerber Gruwal, director of the SEC's Division of Enforcement, said in a statement that um, this is really a problem, this unregulated situation, which is crypto. I do have to say, I hope Gerber Gruwal is from another country, because if he was born in America, his parents named him in such a way where they might have just tattooed on his forehead, please kick my ass. Yeah, Mike's making fun of people's names. So the fuck what? People call me rational boomer. What kind of bullshit is that? Anyway, this bankman freed was arrested Monday in the Bahamas after federal prosecutors in New York filed criminal charges contained in a sealed indictment. 
according to the Royal Bahamas Police Force. He appeared in court in the Bahamas on Tuesday and was denied bail after a judge determined he was too much of a flight risk. So he's in jail in the Bahamas, and he'll be coming to the U.S. Now, there is a new CEO for the crypto exchange FTX. His name is John Ray. Now, if you've heard that name before, he is the same guy that took over Enron after they went through their shit. Now, I don't know what he hopes to do with this, but I know there was a lot of important, famous, wealthy people that were in investors in FTX. And at this point, it looks like they got fucked. So Ray said, I have never seen an utter lack of record keeping. Absolutely no internal controls. Earlier this year, FTX was valued at $32 billion and a 30-year-old kid's running this motherfucker. How does that happen? Within weeks of a customer sell-off totaling billions of dollars, the company declared bankruptcy. Bankruptcy. This is akin, maybe even bigger, than the Bernie Madoff bullshit. Company officials communicated invoice and expense reports over Slack, an internal messaging service, Ray said, which is kind of bullshit for a company that big. He also said FTX employees use the accounting software QuickBooks, which is popular among small businesses. Now, QuickBooks for you and I, kind of a good deal. But when you're talking about a $32 billion company, that's a little light. That's a lightweight situation. QuickBooks isn't going to cover it. Ray said, nothing against QuickBooks. It's a very nice tool, but not for a multi-billion dollar company. This kid is fucked. You don't run through billions and billions of dollars and then have nothing to show for it except a lot of nice property and toys that you own. That doesn't bode well. That doesn't make you look innocent. Now this kid is trying to make people believe he's innocent. Well, I didn't know. I had no idea. I'm a good guy because I give money away. Well, he didn't have a, uh, a board. He had no board. He had no chief financial officer. It was him in a T-shirt and some fucking shorts and some flip-flops, and he was running the show. Here's my question. If you're a seasoned and knowledgeable investor, how do you sit down with this motherfucker and say, yeah, I'll give you $200 million. You seem like a good guy. It makes no sense. Makes no fucking sense at all. But nonetheless, he's in the Bahamas in jail. He's not getting out uh, anytime soon. Up until the time he's extradited to the United States, then he'll go through court here, and he will definitely go to jail in the United States. Well, we had a good story, a win for the Democrats, a win for Joe Biden. A celebratory crowd of thousands bundled up on a chilly Tuesday afternoon to watch President Joe Biden sign the gay marriage legislation into law. A joyful ceremony that was tempered by the backdrop of an ongoing conservative backlash over gender issues. Now, you know what I'm talking about. There was a bill that passed through the House and the Senate 
to protect gay marriage or same-sex marriage and interracial marriage. Believe it or not, they wanted to shut it all down. And you know what was going to happen. The same thing that happened with overturning Roe v. Wade. Some shithole town would put this in court and then appeal it all the way to the Supreme Court. And we know the Supreme Court had already expressed an interest, Clarence Thomas specifically, of getting rid of same-sex marriage and interracial marriage, which is really fucking weird because Clarence Thomas, a black man, is married to a white chick. So what the fuck is he thinking? Anyway, because it passed through the House and the Senate and Joe Biden signed it yesterday, the Supreme Court can't get their grubby mitts on this motherfucker. It's a done deal. There may be some other things they have to do to protect it, but what happened to Roe v. Wade is not going to happen with this, and that is good news. Joe Biden said this law and the love it defends strikes a blow against hate in all forms. He did that on the South Lawn of the White House. And that's why this law matters to every single American. Now, there were some stars there. Sam Smith and Cindy Lauper performed. Vice President Kamala Harris recalled officiating a lesbian wedding in San Francisco, and the White House played a recording of Biden's television interview from a decade ago when he caused a political furor by unexpectedly disclosing his support for gay marriage. Biden was vice president at the time, and President Barack Obama had not yet endorsed the idea. You think about that. Even back 10 years ago, People weren't even talking about this shit. Oh, that's that's taboo. We can't talk about it. We've come a long way. And the Republicans and the Supreme Court, given the chance, they would shut it down. But thankfully, now they fucking can't. Now, as I said, Biden was uh, vice president at the time. His boss, Barack Obama, had not yet endorsed the idea. Biden joked, I got in trouble. Three days later, Obama himself publicly endorsed gay marriage. Probably didn't want to do it at that time because it wasn't the best political move. But uh, Joe Biden let it slip out. And it might have been a mistake back then. He might have gotten in trouble. But now he looks to have a bit of integrity. Not only did he say it back then, but now he signed it in the law. So fuck the Supreme Court and fuck the Republicans. Lawmakers from both parties attended Tuesday's ceremony, reflecting the growing acceptance of same-sex unions, once among the country's most contentious issues. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer wore the same purple tie to the ceremony that he wore to his daughter Allison's wedding. She and her wife are expecting their first child in the spring. Thanks to the millions out there who spent years pushing for change, and thanks to the dogged work of my colleagues, my grandchild will get to live in a world that respects and honors their mother's marriage, Schumer said. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi told the crowd that inside maneuvering only takes us so far, and she thanked activists adding impetus with your impatience, your persistence, and your patriotism. So, now that is a done deal, at least to this point. There may be some other things they have to do, but I don't know what they are at this point. 
But at least that's safe. At least these Trumplifucks and at least this partisan Supreme Court can't try to overturn this. Now we can focus on Roe v. Wade. We've got to get Roe v. Wade codified. Now, as we know, they may have overturned Roe v. Wade, at least to this extent. But if we can get it through the House and we can get it through the Senate and get it codified, then that takes all the power away from the Supreme Court. And frankly, they don't know how to handle the power anyway, so it should be taken away. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, they're never going to do that in the next two years because the Democrats don't have the majority in the House. And this is true. But here's what you need to understand. A couple of things. First of all, this vote on this same-sex marriage and interracial marriage thing was bipartisan. There were a number of Republicans that voted for it, which may seem surprising to you, but maybe not. So now if they want to try to codify Roe v. Wade, it's going to be difficult because the Republicans have the majority. But here's what you need to understand. They just had the midterms, and they were absolutely embarrassed. And one of the biggest reasons they were embarrassed is because they overturned Roe v. Wade at the exact wrong time, and that worked against him, and it was one of the main reasons they took a whooping in the midterms. So here's the deal. If you got these people to cross the aisle for the same-sex marriage law, Maybe you will get some Republicans to cross the aisle in the House for overturning Roe v. Wade. Now, you might think that's crazy and think that that's not possible, but think about this. You've got a big faction of people in the House of Representatives on the Republican side that are trying to step away, get some space between them and the MAGAs. They know in their minds that this overturning Roe v. Wade fucked them and they can't win an election by trying to overturn Roe v. Wade. So maybe, maybe some of these Republicans will say, you know, maybe I better back off this and help to codify this. Maybe this will redeem me, garner me some more votes. Maybe it will. Now, I don't know if that's realistic, and most people I say that to say that's bullshit, but those are the same people that told me there was going to be a fucking red wave, and you know I don't listen to shit, so I think it's a possibility. Whether they make the effort or not, I'm not sure. I hope they try, because I think they might be able to pull it off. In the House, that what do they have, 212, 214 votes? And they need like 218, 219 votes. All you need to do is get, you know, maybe five, six Republicans, maybe less than that, to convert, to be smart enough to understand that sticking by overturning Roe v. Wade is a fucking loser. And if we can do that, maybe we can get it passed in the House. I think the House is in a tough situation. The Republicans have a slim majority. And if they want to pass anything, they're going to have to come together. But as we know, the Republican Party is having a hell of a time coming together for something as simple as voting for a Speaker of the House. So some of these people that are trying to separate themselves from MAGA and Donald Trump may see that, you know, maybe we better accomplish something in the next two years so that we might get some votes in 2024. That might be a thought. 
And in order to do that, we're going to have to cooperate. We're going to have to compromise. We're going to have to negotiate with the Democrats because the Democrats have 212 votes right off the bat. If I can get six more votes, then then maybe we can do something. I mentioned the idea of maybe somehow the Democrats gaming the system to try to get a more acceptable Speaker of the House and undercutting Kevin McCarthy and MAGA. People have asked the Democrats about that, and they kind of smirk and they say, well, we don't want to talk about that. You know they're thinking about it. You know for a fact they're fucking thinking about it. So if the Republicans think they're going to have all this power and they're going to do all these things, they better think again, because I don't think that's the way it's going to work. Now, Mitch McConnell, who we know is the devil, is starting to speak up, and he's speaking up against Donald Trump. Not directly, but indirectly, and you know Donald Trump is getting butthurt over it. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky said on Tuesday that former President Donald Trump's primary endorsements proved to be very decisive and ultimately costly for Republicans in their failed effort to retake the Senate. Now, McConnell cited remarks he made in the summer expressing concern about candidate quality of some nominees Trump endorsed. He said, I think there's probably a greater likelihood the House flips than the Senate, McConnell told NBC News in August. Senate races are just different. They're statewide. Candidate quality has a lot to do with the outcome. Now, the remark was considered a veiled shot at Trump whose preferred candidates lost key Senate races in elections the GOP hoped to win. Democrats not only held the Senate, but they gained a seat. Among Trump's high-profile misses were Don Bolduc, Blake Masters, Dr. Oz, and Herschel Walker in Georgia. Not one of them won. The only one that won was J.D. Vance, and I, for the life of me, don't know how he fucking won to be perfectly honest. Now, looking back at 22, some of you may recall, I never said there was going to be a red wave, McConnell said. I said we had a bunch of close races, and looking at each race separately, I wasn't making that up. We had a bunch of close races. We ended up having a candidate quality situation. Anybody remember who mentioned that back in August? Look at Arizona, look at New Hampshire, and challenging situation in Georgia as well. McConnell reiterated the need to run quality candidates, which means any candidate that is not endorsed by fucking Donald Trump. So Mitch McConnell is owning up to the fact that Donald Trump is now a loser. He's now a liability. I want nothing to fucking do with him. And a lot of Republicans are feeling that way. But again, what the Republicans have to remember, it's not just Donald Trump. It's the bullshit you're throwing around, overturning Roe v. Wade, marginalizing LGBTQ folks, suppressing votes, talking about taking away Medicare and Social Security. Those things are just as much a reason for them losing elections as is Donald Trump. They need to recognize that. I don't know that they all have. I think Mitch McConnell gets it. Mitch McConnell, for as evil as he is, he is fucking smart. 
He's been in the Senate a long time, and he understands the potential problems doing things the way they've been doing things. Now, Mitch McConnell was on board with Donald Trump for many years. But once it was apparent that Donald Trump was going to cost them elections, he just tossed them aside, just like I said he would do. Now more and more Republicans are doing the same. He'll have the base, the people that will kiss his ring forever, no matter what he does, no matter what happens. That motherfucker could get indicted and sitting in jail, and they would still insist, oh, he's going to be president again. (laughs) Donald Trump will never be president again. Anybody connected to Donald Trump or part of the MAGA group will not be elected again, especially after what happens next week. And we start seeing some of these people that were tied to Donald Trump, not only being embarrassed because they are tied to Donald Trump, but being exposed for being complicit in some of Donald Trump's crimes. This is going to be a banner week. It's going to be a fucking great week. When we have that first meeting on Monday with the J6 committee, the criminal referrals to the DOJ, and ultimately the release of every bit of evidence. I just, I'm going to wrap things up here in a minute, but I just want to talk about these criminal referrals. Please don't mistake these criminal referrals as a guarantee that somebody's going to get indicted. That's not the case. The job of the J6 committee and any committee that's looking into anything is to gather the information, kind of sort out the evidence, expose it to the public, and then go to the DOJ and say, listen, we looked at this. There were some crimes here. We would suggest that you indict these people. But the DOJ is under no rule or law that they have to do what the J6 committee says they want them to do. When it comes to indictments, the DOJ will make those choices. Jack Smith will make those choices. And I don't think we have to worry. I think Jack Smith and the DOJ will, in fact, indict quite a number of people, including Donald Trump. They don't have much choice. And one of the reasons they don't have a choice is because of what the J6 committee is doing. By releasing all the evidence into the world... Everybody's going to know what the evidence is. They're going to know the dirty secrets, where the bodies are buried, and all of that sort of stuff. So that will apply pressure to the DOJ to indict people. They can't just hide it under paperwork and shit like that. It's out there in the open. It's been laid bare. And because of that, the DOJ is going to have to take a different tack than they might normally do. I mean, most of their evidence typically comes from a grand jury, and we know every grand jury is top secret. We don't get to hear what was found out in the grand jury. That's why we probably can expect that the uh, DOJ has a lot more evidence than we know. We also know that the J6 committee, while handing out a lot of evidence that's been pretty damning, there's a ton more that we don't know. But the good news is, We're going to know. We're going to know soon. And that is good news for Democrats, reasonably minded people, the DOJ, and it's very bad news for Donald Trump, the trump and the rest of the Republican Party. This is not going to wear well on them. 
and it is going to be a shitstorm. And I'm sure Donald Trump will be spinning around like a fucking top. And I'm so fucking excited about that. All right, let's wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to listen. And uh, I hope you have a great day. And we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.